Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of the Players NIL podcast. And my guest today, Mr. Cal Stein. Cal, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, we uh, we appreciate your time and, and, and trying to share a little bit of knowledge and wisdom from the legal front today. And we'll talk about the, the state of NIL, state of college collectives, the NCAA guidance. We'll get into some of those um, important topics that I think our audience would like to hear. But we start every podcast with the same question. And it's 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 really important to me because at the Players NIL, our mission is to use athletics to better the lives of the people around us. And we say that you can do it through art, you can do it through science, travel, food, fashion. We happen to be sports people. We happen to be athletes. And so we're using athletics to try and change people's lives. But let's go back, uh, give us a little background. I use two words. One is sports. The other is athletics. Sports is the fandom part. You know, the first game you went to, your hero, you held your dad's hand or your grandfather's hand and went to a game. And then athletics would be, if you did, and I don't know the answer to this question, participate at all. Uh, but maybe more importantly, why you're so connected to athletics and why it's important to you. So let's ask the first question. That is, tell me a little bit about your sports fandom history. Well, I've been a sports fan since uh, I was a little, little kid growing up in Boston. As you can imagine, we are very, very connected uh, to our sports teams here. Uh, I remember the days of uh, before the Patriots were any good. Uh, and being able to grow with that team in particular has been uh, very, very rewarding for me. But of course, the Red Sox growing up in town, I grew up uh, just a couple miles from Fenway Park. As you mentioned, remember going to my first game with my dad there, sitting in the old Boston Garden with the with the Boston Bruins. My father had great had a great friend who used to give us some tickets, first row balcony in the old garden, could almost reach out and touch the players. Um, you know, so as a kid and uh, continuing since then, it's been my fandom has been important to me. Um, I was a Bruins season ticket holder for many years, including when they uh, won the Stanley Cup. I was in the building for those times. Um, so it's always been important to me, fandom. It's funny, you know, I talk to people and, and they laugh, but today's generation of Bostonians, they don't know anything but winning. You know, they don't remember <laughs> the Patriots or before the Red Sox won. Maybe the Celtics have always been good. The Bruins have had some good years and some down years, but they think everybody wins in Boston all the time. So now, uh, we, that's we awesome. It is. We don't win all of them, just most of them. But uh, I, I had to. I had to suffer through the Aaron Boone game as a Red Sox fan when I was in college, including having multiple roommates from the Bronx. So that was not a, a pleasant night for me. <laughs> well, I tell people I, I'm from Long Island originally, and I'm of the generation when it was Mets, Jets, Nets. And if I bring up the name Mookie Wilson, you probably or Bill Buckner, you don't want to really talk about that, right? So, you know, great sports town, obviously, incredible city, unbelievable um, tradition. So you're you're a sports fan. Did you participate in athletics? Were you a high school athlete? Did you participate yeah. at any higher level? Yeah, no, I, I, I sure did. And, you know, in many ways, as much of a sportsman as I am, athletics has meant more to me as a person in shaping the person I've become. I, I've always played sports. It's always been important to me, particularly team sports. That was something that always resonated with me and something I always really loved. Um, 
team sports shaped my youth throughout high school. I played, you know, football and baseball in high school. Uh, you know, my best friends were my teammates. They're all still my best friends. The best teachers I ever had were my coaches, some of whom I'm still in touch with. Um, you know, learned learned a lot more uh, about success and failure playing sports than really anywhere else and about, you know, overcoming adversity. I had, uh, you know, a bad injury in high school that I had to overcome. And, um, you know, you learn what's in your control. You learn what's not in control. Um, and, and you do what you can. Um, but but athletics actually, you know, continues and continued to shape my even my adult life, even after I finished playing in high school. Um, when I was in law school, I went back to my high school and coached both baseball and football, which was some of the most fun I ever had. Uh, I'm still close with the guys I coached with, still close with some of my players. In fact, one of them I, is a lawyer in town now. And, you know, we, we see each other all the time. Um, I, I wish I could go back and do more of that. Um, but but more than anything, I would say my athletic career has shaped my career as a lawyer. That's the reason I went into the law. I loved being on teams. I loved competing. Um, and becoming a lawyer and a litigator is really, I think, the closest I was able to come to approximating what it's like to be on a sports team um, in, in my adult life. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that and I'm still feeling it to this day. That's a great story. And, and, and we have, you know, been fortunate enough, both of us and many of us to use athletics to better our lives, which is what my father taught me. And it sounds like you've done the same thing. So, you know, great experience as a fan in Boston, great experience as a participant, as a coach, good for you for giving back to your community. I'm sure those kids got great mentorship and leadership besides the X's and O's from someone like you. So now you've got, you know, a law degree, you've got a career, Name, image, and likeness, NIL. It's been around for a long time, but it only was legitimized in uh, July of 2021. Tell us a little bit about your work and, and your connection to name, image, and likeness. Sure. So, um, I, you know, I've been a lawyer for a lot longer than name, image, and likeness has really been a thing, or at least a thing above the table, as you mentioned. Um, but, you know, as an attorney, I'm, I'm a litigator by practice, but I do a lot of investigation work, um, internal investigation and compliance counseling. And throughout my entire career, I've done it with uh, universities, usually large uh, state schools with uh, academic medical centers. Um, and I've always been a big sports fan, as we talked about. I've always been a huge college football fan. Um, so when NIL came to the forefront a couple of years ago, it was a great opportunity for me to kind of meld my my legal practice of advising these uh, schools, colleges, and universities um, with my real interest in um, being able to 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 work in the on the athletic side of things with NIL. And uh, since it came out, there there's not been much guidance. Everyone is doing their best to make sense of um you know all, all the things that are happening uh but we've had great success and um i personally have had great success working with schools counseling them advising them you know working with them on their compliance programs and trying to answer their questions about what they and their athletes can and oftentimes can't do um so that that's really what we've been focused on so far Let's go back to July 1st, 2021, when all of the, the genie was let out of the bottle, as they say. 
What I and I, I understand the O'Banion case and and lots of other case law that led up to this, but in your opinion, why did it take so long, and why was 2021 the time? What what kicked it over the top? Do you think? Well, you know, the reason it took so long is because you know, I almost call it legal inertia. It had been a certain way for so long that to change course took a lot of time. And what it really took, as so many things do, you know, it took the right case and the right plaintiff and the right political uh, environment and the right Supreme Court at the right time, all of those things coming together um, to really have this movement take off. And those things all did come together at that time. And, you know, it's something that I think anyone who followed it knew was likely to come. There had been some unsuccessful attempts early, uh, you know, prior to it. There had been some, uh, some, some athletes at schools that had tried to unionize and things like that. So there were definitely uh, rumblings and definitely ripples forming in the water. But it took a confluence of all of those things to happen at the right time for the decision to come out and change things and change uh, the landscape in, in the dramatic way that it has. Yeah, I guess it's just, uh, it was timing. So I, I look at name, image, and likeness today. We're in the beginning of 2023 and I see buckets of um, participants. So let's just go through a couple of these buckets and give me your current status on, you know, where you think we are as an industry and where these people's, pressure points are okay so let's the first one and we'll try and you know not bore everyone with all the case law history and the and the and the and the debates going on but where where are we currently with the ncaa and name image and likeness where what's the status report beginning of 2023 yeah so the ncaa has issued a handful of guidance documents and that's really all they've done is issue guidance documents they have um, stated and kind of, I guess the word I would use is complained a little bit um, that they want Congress to step in. And by Congress, I mean the U.S. Congress to step in and put some uniform federal rules in place. That obviously hasn't happened yet. Doesn't look all that likely to happen anytime soon. So in light of the decision, the Supreme Court decision that we've been talking about, really what the NCAA did was they stepped in and said, look, um, as long as these NIL deals and these NIL money and opportunities are not being used as an inducement, and that's the key word in this entire thing, as long as they're not being used as an inducement, these players are not going to lose their eligibility over it. And that's really what the NCAA can do on the player side of things, is speak to eligibility. There are They have more things that they can do on the enforcement side with the schools, and the NCAA has indicated, look, if there are compliance violations on these NIL related to NIL, we're going to come after the schools. We're not going to come after the players. Um, but really, the NCAA has not done what you might expect, which is to kind of come out with this comprehensive set of rules for NIL. They've taken a, a more of a laissez-faire approach and just said, this is happening. Um, as long as you're not using it for an inducement, uh, no one's going to lose their eligibility over it. Great. The second bucket is uh, the academic institutions. So whether it's Division Three, Two, One, Power Five, Mid Major, as a general concept, where are colleges and universities at with NIL today? What one is, 
you know, what do they think about it? Two, what are they afraid of? Three, what are they doing to try and relieve those pressure points? Yeah. So, so what do they think of it? I don't want to speak for all universities, but I think most of them outwardly are very happy about it. They want to see their athletes being able to do these things and, and benefit from uh, being able to go out and compete and uh, things like that. I think that's a real benefit for them. And some schools have really been able to turn NIL into uh, a boon for their athletic programs. Certainly there are others who enjoyed things the way they were. And, um, you know, a cynic might look at things and say um, these universities that for many, 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 many years enjoyed the, uh, you know, the, the lucrative opportunities of not having to pay their players and their labor um, probably would have been happy with the status quo. You know, maybe, maybe not. But I think, you know, on the whole, the universities are at least happy for their student athletes. Now, what they need to do about it, um, that's really where things have gotten a little tricky because, as we just said, the NCAA hasn't come out with comprehensive guidance. U.S. Congress hasn't given us anything. We've got, you know, a handful of guidance documents from the NCAA, and then we've got individual state legislatures that are stepping in and passing state-by-state state laws, which are, are those are in many ways the most important ones for these universities to follow because those can be enforced by state attorneys generals. And I suspect one day they will be enforced by those offices. Um, but it's it's a brave new world. And I think most universities are doing the best they can to put in place a compliance program to work with people like me, um, you know, to, to, to get that compliance program in place and to structure, you know, whatever operations and whatever deals they have in a way that is most likely to be deemed compliant by either the state AG or the NCAA. And I say most likely because we haven't really seen any enforcement yet. So it's hard to predict what are the pressure points really going to be. Great answer. Next pot of interested victims, the student athletes themselves. What are the potholes that they're trying to navigate around or what should they be careful of if they're an NIL student athlete? So, you know, the, the student athletes, it, it, it's, it's great for them, right? It's great for them, especially the ones who are really able to capitalize. And quite frankly, everyone should, I think, be happy for them that they're able to use their abilities and use their name and image and likeness to earn earn some money. So that is all great. But of course, um, with that comes lots and lots of pitfalls and things that can be problematic for anyone, let alone, you know, a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old kid. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of what they ought to be looking out for, I mean, anytime anyone um, is, are, is throwing a lot of money at you, um, there are any number of different things that can really go wrong. I mean, these NIL deals with the real money attached to them involve real contractual relationships and contracts. And, um, you know, when you have a contract with another party, there are real obligations that you have to comply with uh, under that contract or else face the consequences. Um, you and I were talking before about the tax consequences for these individuals. Um, they've never, many of them probably have never had to file taxes before. Um, and all of a sudden they've got a lot, a lot of income. You know, are taxes being taken out of it? Are they not? Um, and then, you know, there's the whole uh, compliance 
and and uh, anti-inducement uh, piece of it as well. These these athletes, they want to get their money. They want to be able to uh, engage in these NIL activities, but they want to. They don't want their their team to suffer as a result of it because of something they did. So they, my sense, and from what I've seen in practicing in the industry, is they are really craving guidance and craving help from the schools. Um, and, you know, we preach, I preach constantly with the schools, you know, cooperation, open line of communication between you, your athletes, you know, that's that's going to be the best way to harmonize some of these things, uh, because there are a lot of different competing uh, factors pushing and pulling everyone. Yeah, it's complicated and it changes every day, right? I get up in the morning and I read all my news sources, it takes me quite a while to get through all the news of the day regarding NIL. So. My opinion is, you know, that we didn't see this confluence of uh, transfer portal meets collective, right? This is something that I'm not sure a lot of people really saw happening. You know, the Deion Sanders of the world, he, he seems to have doing pretty well with it. But tell me about collectives. Last pot of interested victims is, you know, what I call the booster club on steroids. What should they be careful of? What's their future look like? So, so the collectives are really, to me, the most interesting piece of this, right? Because you would think, you would think that the NCAA would come out and say, "Ooh, no, we we don't want them involved in NIL." Not the case. They've come out and said, "No, it's fine. They can be involved. Here's what they have to do. You can't, you know, be involved in recruiting activities. It can't be used as an inducement." Okay, that's fine. These collectives are comprised of people with with lots and lots of money. Their money is exceeded only in many cases by their fanaticism and love for um, the team, often a basketball or football team from the school they went to. You know, so, you know, you look at all of those factors and it's pretty easy to see that, you know, when enforcement actions come and when a school is ultimately punished for violating these NIL rules, it's more than likely going to be as the result of some overzealous collective, which, you know, did something Maybe they intended, maybe they didn't, maybe they had good intentions, um, but did something non-compliant and ultimately used this as an improper inducement. And, um, it, you know, to me, it's not a matter of whether, but when. It's just a matter of time before one of these collectives, um, you know, it embroils itself in that type of situation. And, you know, I'm sure they'll feel bad when they do. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons that in my discussions with collectives and universities and people acting on behalf of collectives, once again, we we urge the collectives, look, you've got plenty of money to pay all these players. Find someone who knows the rules and, ha and, 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 and engage them to help advise you on how to do this within the rules so that you don't inadvertently hurt the school or the program that you love so much. It's going to be fascinating. You know, I, I we know what goes on, wink, wink, nod, nod with collectives and with recruiting inducements and transfer portal inducements and all that type. We could probably talk about this for hours, Cal, but I don't want to take uh, up too much more of your time. So last last part of this is the advice part. You've given us some great advice about the pitfalls and the potholes along this NIL journey, but um, if I'm a student athlete, which is what we're focused on, the players NIL cares about athletes, okay? You know, God bless the collectives and the schools, the NCAA, yeah. I'm more worried about the high school kids, the parents, the recruiting process, and the influence um, that money has over that. So give me a couple of sound bites on, you know, 
what should student athletes look for going forward and what can they do to best position themselves to take advantage of name, image, and likeness? Yeah. So number one for, for student athletes is be careful, be careful. I mean, NIL is great. It's great for student athletes. There's no question about that, but it is still very new. There's very little regulation. The regulation that does exist is not consistent across states. And there's even less experience really for all of these different stakeholders to fall back on. Everyone's moving quickly. Everyone's trying to do you know, what they think is right or what's in their best interest. No one really knows how any of this is going to turn out. And you know, at, in the, at the end of the day, the only people who are really looking out for the students are, are the students and the student athletes themselves and their families, things like that. Um, but, you know, my number one piece of advice would, would be be careful uh, when you go into these arrangements, try to go in with eyes wide open and make sure you've got people who, you know, are advising you as best you can. You know, the number two thing I would say is be cooperative. We've talked about that a little bit today. Be careful, but also be cooperative. NIL should work for both the student athlete and the school. That's what everyone had in mind when this started. And the schools really need cooperation. They crave cooperation from the athletes and from the collectives. Um, you know, the schools are the ones with the compliance obligations. The schools are the ones who are going to be punished. Um, but yeah, you know, things will go smoother for everyone uh, if they're, if the schools can have some visibility into what is happening with these NIL arrangements. And as we talked about before, really the last thing these athletes want to do is inadvertently cause an enforcement action and hurt their school, their team, their coaches. You know, we talked about that at the beginning. Those are some of their, you know, those were, were my best friends growing up and my best friends now. It's the last thing I'd want to do. Um, you know, and then the last thing I would say, you know, to these, to, to, to student athletes, in addition to, be, you know, be careful, be cooperative. But number three, you know, enjoy it. This is a good time to be a student athlete. Um, enjoy playing your sports, enjoy your teammates, enjoy your coaches, enjoy the NIL opportunities that are coming your way that many people, you know, didn't have before you. Um, it's a great time to be a student athlete and things are going to change. We all know uh, the cycles that, that things can go in and we're in a good one right now. So um, enjoy, enjoy it. CCE, careful, cautious, and enjoy. That's going to be my, go. my three letters to take away. So, Great advice, and I appreciate that. So, Cal, I want to say thank you. This has been very enjoyable to get your perspective, you know, as a knowledgeable attorney, first of all, NIL fan, second of all, and a businessman in this space. We certainly want to get you back on at some point in the future when we, and if we have any of our first case guidance issues. But uh, I want to say thank you, and the Players NIL really appreciates you coming on and sharing your knowledge. Well, thank you for having me, Mark. I'm going to take you up on that. I'd love to come back and talk uh, after we have our first enforcement action. Okay.